a few things I love about Psalm 73. One, it's one of my favorite psalms in all of the, in all of the 150 psalms that we have. Uh, I was telling Andrew, Psalm 73 has been like a good friend to me over the years. From when I was a young Christian, as a teen, I became a believer and, a, and a, I walked with the Lord at about age 16. And I grew up in a pretty tough neighborhood. And, and, and it's, it's really hard living for Christ when everyone around you is doing the exact opposite. It seems like they're getting ahead. And when I came across, and I think the Lord directed me to this, when I came across Psalm 73, it was just such a refreshing perspective for me, and it got me recalibrated, and it got me thinking more rightly about what my purpose is on this earth. And so I titled this message, From Whining to Worship. <laughs> uh, it's quite appropriate. So what we'll do, we'll read through the psalm itself, and then we'll journey back through with some exposition. So we'll dive into the Word of God. We'll start at verse 1. We know that this psalm is written by Asaph. He was one of the worship leaders in uh, David's community. So we start at verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. I can walk off the stage and not say anything else. This psalm speaks for itself, but um, to give you the entire 35 minutes that you came here for, I will, <laughs> I will exposit. <laughs> um, from whining to worship, my favorite church father, Athanasius, has said this about the psalms. The other scriptures speak to us, but the Psalms speak for us. I like that. Because it, it, sometimes we feel guilty about the things that can enter our hearts and minds as we live on this earth. But when we look around us and we see what's going on, we can't help but to have these thoughts and to have these emotions that come up. The world we live in, a world where the rich get richer, the lawbreakers rarely get caught, the lawmakers are corrupt, and regular people are born into these impossibly unfavorable situations, and they have no choice in that matter. It is in this kind of environment that we are trying to live for Christ. And so what I like about Psalm 73 is that when I start to see these things and I fail to look at God through the lens of who I am in Christ and I start to get bogged down by the circumstances, maybe I look at Facebook or Twitter too much. Gosh. I got to believe that those areas are redeemable, but I just don't know how that's going to happen. I mean, it takes all of five minutes to look at Twitter, and I'm just in a bad mood. My wife was asking me this morning, what's wrong with you? I didn't want to tell. I looked at Twitter for two minutes. <laughs> it's hard to be good when it seems like it's so good to be bad. The psalmist was going through this. And he wanted to communicate. He put pen to paper. He wrote about how he felt in these situations. He was communicating to us three ways in which he wanted to understand what was going on and how to interpret it. First, he was looking at what he saw. He was communicating to us what he saw from the people around him. Then he was communicating to us what he heard from the people around him. And then he was communicating how he felt about what he saw and what he heard. So let's dive in again and just kind of open up some of these things about what the psalmist is seeing and what he's going through. First of all, he says something great. Verse 1, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is a universal truth about the character of God. This is a canonical theme that you see throughout the Bible. God says to his people, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, there will be cursings, right? And I think we can use that as a general principle of how God operates. 
New Testament says, to whom much is given, much is required. So he starts off right, almost as if he's speaking Christianese. He's walking in the church. He's like, oh, bless the Lord. Oh, bless my brothers and sisters. But now he's going to come out and tell people. Someone really asked him, what's going on? It's not just a passing. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. How you doing? I'm doing. It's no, no, no. Asaph, what's going on? You really want to know what's going on? I'm going to tell you what's going on. I almost messed up, man. Verse 2. But as for me, my feet has almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He said, I almost messed this whole thing up of walking with God. Why? Verse 3. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The first thing he saw, he saw wicked people prospering. That word prosper is one of my favorite words in the Bible. Shalom. I love shalom. Shalom is such an awesome word. It's not just the absence of conflict, two people not fighting. Shalom is actually a state or a condition where you lack nothing. A state or condition where you have all that you need, everything is set right, all the ducks are in a row, and it is just cruising. He's on down the road. When God created the universe, the heavens and the earth, on day seven, he said everything was what? Very good. That is shalom, guys. And here is now the writer of this psalm saying, the wicked are in shalom. That is not right. The wicked are at ease. He says, they are not bogged down by life's burdens. We're trying to, you know, uh, be moral people, be good examples of, of doing what's right. It says in verse 4, they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. That sounds like an oxymoron, fat and sleek. How in the world is something fat and sleek? <laughs> But no, what they're saying is they have all the food they need. They're not starving. They're not hungry. And yet they have ways of of staying healthy. They have the best medical care. They have all that they need to have a healthy life. They don't suffer like good people. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. In verse 6, he sees that their pride is their necklace. I think about Mr. T. Now y'all know my age, or at least roughly. Pity the fool. Mr. T used to have all these big old chains. He walk around, he had more. Mr. T was fat and sleek, right? <laughs> he was, if you wanted to see what, you, what your body wanted to look like, you looked at Mr. T. Man! And he had these chains that he used to wear. Y'all know he's a believer now, right? He's, he's a very different human being than he was. But he used to have these big old gold chains that he wore everywhere just to let people know, I got money and you don't. <laughs> the pride is their necklace. They want to show off. This is why faith, this is, this is the problem with Facebook. This is the problem with social media. People aren't like Asaph and they're like, hey, Times are good, but man, today was tough. People are like, hey, my life is grand. 
Don't you wish you had my life? And it makes others feel bad because I want that life. How do you get it? I'm missing it. They're lying. They're not happy. They just want you to think they are. Their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. They earn their riches through unfair, unjust means. And they don't care. And I know certain organizations are scrolling through your heads right now. (laughs) Um, Their eyes swell out through their fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. Hearts overflow with follies. I think here is the central problem with the wicked. Is that they have turned themselves from who God is. Overflowing with follies could also mean images and idols. See, the wicked people have started to worship things other than God. We have young boys wanting to be LeBron James instead of Athanasius. We have young girls wanting to be Taylor Swift instead of Perpetua. They found new heroes. After he laments and commiserates about the things that he sees, then he says, it doesn't stop there. This is not a silent film. I also hear what they're talking about. Verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. You can put that on a billboard today. No respect for anyone else. Threats, sarcasm, insults, cancellations. What are we scared of? We're going to counsel you. So, I'm going to keep talking. Counsel me. This ain't my home. Threats. Discrimination, prejudice toward anyone who is not like them. We want to keep this thing on an ethnic level. Call everything a racial issue. It's not a racial issue. It's a selfish issue. It's a sin issue. If you don't agree with the way I see the world, you are a threat and an enemy to me. Therefore, you must be discarded. This is the type of culture we're living in today. This is not new. The threats and the taunts and the insults of the wicked have been around for millennia. They have no regard for God. Their mouths, they set their mouths against the heavens. Shaking their fists to God. And here's what happened. Verse 10. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Why? Because things are working out for them right now. See, we got to stop basing goodness and blessing on things. Jesus warns us about that in Luke chapter 12. Life does not consist in the amount of things you have. 
But we make the mistake, just like the ancient people do, of thinking someone has a lot of stuff, God must love them more. Maybe I should start acting like that person. We start using the world's wisdom to do godly things, especially in the church. Worldly corporate ideas, worldly corporate uh, 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 procedures and processes, we, we lay upon the body of Christ and say we should start doing these things. We find no fault in them because they are successful. And then these wicked people, they, as he's going to be describing them later, they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Look at what happened. See, they're turning to idols and they're starting to misrepresent who God really is. Sometimes when my kids were younger, you play hide and seek every now and again. They'll hide in an obvious place and close their eyes like we can't see them. You know, we play along with them sometimes. Like, where is he? Where did she go? You know exactly where they are. This is how they're behaving before God. God doesn't see me doing this evil thing because I'm doing it at night. The Bible says night is as day to the Lord. Nothing is hidden from him. But people think just because the punishment, the lightning bolt hasn't come immediately, that they're okay. That they got a mulligan for doing this. That they got away with the tax evasion, or they got away with these, these, these dealings that they did around a the corner. They got away with that sexual unfaithfulness. No, you didn't. Nothing is hidden from God. Remember who God is. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is ever-present. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words before we ever speak them. And they are misrepresenting God and their modifier. In verse 12, these are the wicked. And it's easy to point at people who have rejected God openly and say, yeah, they are wicked. But guess what? There are wicked people in our churches today. Because they have misrepresented God for the sake of being on the side of mankind. We think it is good to side with humanity. Humanism. The great human flourishing. No, 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 no. We are creatures of the most high God. And we were meant to bring him glory. To represent him well. But yet these wicked people have no regard for who God is. Does God know? And it causes consternation for the writer because as the wicked people are behaving this way, they're at ease, verse 12. They increase in riches, verse 12. And it led him to think in verse 13 all in vain have I kept my heart clean. In vain, emptiness, worthlessness, have I tried to live for God. If, if this world was all there is, he would be right up to this point. 
if this was all there is. Because then this existence right now would be as good as it gets for everyone. And I would understand that. But he's not right. And we'll find out later. So he summarizes now, evil is being rewarded. Therefore, in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So now what the writer does, really what's going on, I'm talking about all that stuff going on out there, but it's bothering me. Now he gets to the nitty gritty. See, 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 I see all these evils, but really what I want to say is, it's bothering me. Verse 14, all day long, I have been stricken. God, I am living for you and I am stricken. I am afflicted. Things are not going right for me. My wife and I, we are, we are, we are in constant conflict. My kids won't listen to me. My mom and dad don't understand my perspective. And yet I'm trying to live for you, God. Verse 15, but if I had said thus, if I had spoken like the wicked people have, if I had said, does God know, if I had switched up who I thought God was, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I would have misrepresented you before the people of God. This man is a leader in the church. Right here. This is what this is what is this is what's being uh, implied here. He's a leader in the church, and if he loses faith, it's going to affect all the people that he leads in worship. Whew. You guys think pastors and worship leaders and everybody that we all have these perfect lives? No, we just have a bigger target <laughs> on our backs. Because if we screw up, it doesn't just affect our families, it affects families of churches. Just imagine what happened with Robbie Zacharias, Mark Driscoll, James McDonald. I go down a list. Whole communities of people of faith torn asunder by the unfaithfulness of their leaders. This is what this man is faced with. I can't just say, throw my hands up in the air and say it's all done. My whole life has been devoted to leading your people in this. Verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It's the question, how can God be good and all-powerful, yet there's evil in the world, right? It's that question. He's struggling with that question, that fundamental question. If God is good, why are bad people winning and good people losing? But see, what happens is he went into the sanctuary of God. See, this is not just a change in location. This is a change in perspective. He stopped looking horizontally for a moment and he turned his eyes, fixed his eyes upward and said, God, who are you really? What are you truly doing? What is the end game of your plan? 
And when he did that, he said, I discern their end. See, what we need to remember is that God created us to be eternal people. And God designed everything to work eternally, originally. So the way God works is not from a hundred year, thousand year perspective. He's playing a really long game. He's playing the eternal game. And we got to remember, biblical justice is designed to bring as many people as possible into the fold of God's people. See, what we want to say is, God, cut the line off now. Cut it off. Destroy all the evil people. Call us home. Let's call it a day. That's what we want to do. (laughs) But see, God says, no, no, no. There's more sheep that are out there, guys. There's more people that need to come and be part of my family. And I've charged you to go out and bring them in. Now, verse 18, because he has changed his perspective vertically, now his perspective on people horizontally, truly, God, you have set them in slippery places. At the beginning, he said, what? I almost slipped. Actually, they're the ones slipping. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Guys, y'all just talked about that earthquake in uh, Turkey, and I guarantee you that earthquake didn't discriminate. Oh, they're wealthy people. I'm not going to destroy their house. No, no, no. Sun and rain fall on righteous and unrighteous alike, guys. It's how we respond to these things that determine who we are. Like a dream when one awakes Oh, Lord, you rouse yourself. You, now, now think about this. I love this. Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise. Now, God is sitting on the throne. Rouse means to get up and do something. Can you imagine, like, God sitting on his throne, looking at the wicked, and he says, oh, I'm about to do something now. Right? Who, who wants to pick a fight, really, with God? Seriously. <laughs> God, let's go. Come on. Oh, really? Oh, oh no, I'm just playing, right? Seriously. When God is roused to do something, who's going to stop him? Nobody. Nobody. And now, you see in verse 21 what the psalmist is doing. He's recalibrating himself. He's repenting for his bad theology at the beginning. (laughs) He says this, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, Lord. Lord, I had this all wrong. I was growling and grumbling. Right? I was like a beast. <laughs> trying to get what's mine. Trying, you know, this instinctive, instinctual mindset. This is the way the world is living. They're living by instincts. Say, get what I want, I want, I want. I want. And that's not how God designed us to be. That's why he breathed the breath of life into humanity. That's why people are image bearers of God. We're meant to live above basic instincts, basic desires, basic hungers. We're meant to be more than that. He says, I lowered myself as your image bearer. 
in verse 23. This is amazing about God's faithfulness. Here this leader is of this congregation fouling up his theology, complaining. God says, do everything without grumbling. He's always breaking the law. Philippians, do everything without grumbling and complaining. That's one of our main things, one of our main Lanier house rules for our kids. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Why? Because we have a tendency to do that. Why is that law there? Because we do it. Go clean up. Clean up all the time because you messed it up. It makes sense for you to clean up. <laughs> like, like compute it. One plus one equals two. Come on, dude. But God has said the same thing to us. You're not perfect. You're complaining about the evil out there. What about the evil in here? Have you talked to me about that? And so Asaph recalibrated himself and said, I was like a beast towards you. I'm sorry, Lord. But here's the faithfulness of God. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Now, it sounds like, oh, look at me. I'm moving back towards you, God. But look at what he says after that. You hold my right hand. You know how some kids, they, uh, you take them somewhere like, and they just want to let go, and they're pulling, and you're holding their hand. They want to go do something dangerous, like run out in the street or run out and jump into the ocean, not having any idea how dangerous it is, but because your grip is stronger, you're holding them and keeping them safe, and they think that you're restricting them. He says, no, I'm protecting you. God is protecting us from evils we would actively participate in by holding our right hand. He's like a loving father. I know you want to go there, son or daughter, but I can't let you do that. You would get hurt. You think I'm restricting you, but I'm protecting you. You guide me with your counsel. Your counsel. Be careful where you get your advice from. Be careful who you listen to. There's a lot of venues, but God separates wisdom from above and wisdom from below. Wisdom from above is peaceable, is godly. Wisdom from below is selfish and demonic. I don't think you want to be listening to demons, do you? Get your counsel from God. Don't let God be your last resort. You get into some trouble. You try everything under the sun, make it worse. Oh, God, you're all I got left. Why didn't you come to me first? I might have directed you to this, but it would have been done rightly because you came to me first. Joshua did almost everything right when they were conquering the land. But guess what? One thing he didn't do, the Gibeonites. And he wanted to blame them. Look, God, they disguised themselves and we made this covenant with them and now they're going to be all in our grill. And Lord, I just don't like that. God says, did you come to me? Did you ask me what I thought about the covenant, the situation you were in? No. You were up there winning, so you thought you had it all, didn't you? I got this now. God, let me take the wheel. Well, now you're in trouble because they're going to be with y'all for generations, Jack. <laughs> so... Why, don't, why shouldn't we go to the Lord first? Seek his counsel. It may be that he will work through conventional means. Lord, I'm not feeling good. What should I do? Go to the doctor. Okay. Okay. But what if you went through all these things and God says, actually, I want to do a divine healing for you and you just 
Man, you just screwed that one up because you went everywhere else. Go to him first. Seek his counsel first. Learn to hear him first. God wants to guide you. His spirit lives in you. He don't get no closer than that. Why don't we seek him? You guide me, and then afterward, you will receive me in glory. If you are a child of God, God has saved you. He is saving you, and he will save you. This is justification, sanctification, and glorification right here in this scripture. God walks with us through the entire process. And now he says, wait a minute. God is with me every step of the way. Who am I in heaven but you, Lord? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Now he's getting it right. Now he's knowing who God is. I have learned something about myself, he says in verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail. I am but a human. I am a sinful man. I will mess up sometimes. But my God, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God's not going to let you go. What he started in you guys, he will finish. He will finish. God is not a loser. His record is infinity and O and still counting. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. Now he's looking eschatologically. He's like, right now, hey, they're looking good. Fat and sleek and at ease. And, but wait a minute. God, you, 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 you're, you're taking this somewhere. And I see you've told me already what will happen to the wicked. Okay. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. And this is the closing. But for me, it is good to be near God. Raise your hand if it is good for you to be near God. I don't care where I am. My worst day with God will always be better than my best day without him. Why? I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. One, it's for his good. The Lord becomes my refuge. But then, two, it's good for other people because you get to share that good news with them. I mean, tell people of your works. How many of us are doing that second part? Because if you are not, you are missing out on something amazing that God wants to do through you. He wants to bring more people in through you. Why is that such a hard thing to do? Because the enemy doesn't want you doing it. He loves having his hostages. He loves having his victims. And the best thing that he can do right now, he can't have you. Your soul is secured in God. But the best thing he can do right now is to silence you. Is to counsel you. So you're afraid to share the gospel. I can't lose my job. I got to take care of my wife and kids. I, 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 can't have this, I can't have this reputation of being a troublemaker. My, 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 I, I, I gotta, I'm trying to run for this. I'm trying to do this. Hey, 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 hey. You are an eternal being. What you do for eternity is what counts. Now, I'm not telling you to pick fights. I'm not telling you to walk out this door, slap somebody in the mouth. You need Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe sometimes we need to do a little bit of that. But what I want to encourage you is, understand this. 
Two things. One of the reasons why God's people go through bad stuff is so that the world can see God work on their behalf. How can God call himself the hero of his people if his people are never in peril? What the world gets to see is God rescue and do a great work. And then after that, guess what happens? We get to tell them about it. Guess what God did for me? Guess what God can do for you? This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. One, for your patience. I'm glad patience is a fruit of the Spirit, Lord, because we'd be in trouble. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful because you said what you started in us, you will finish. It's not about our faithfulness, though. We should try. We should work. You tell us to work out salvation with fear and trembling. But then you say the second part, for it is I who works in you both to will and to do of my good pleasure. If we try, Lord, you will help us. Let us always remember that, Father, that you are with us. You are near us. You are holding our right hands, Lord, so that we won't fall. May we never let go of you, God, because you will never let go of us. And then, Lord, you call us to go out and tell this good news to others. May we be brave people to share this good news with those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.